You can open your Bible to uh, James chapter 4 if you'd like, or follow along uh, on your device, or we are going to put the Scripture up for you to read. Star Trek made famous the statement, resistance is futile. Of course, our heroes from Starfleet did resist the Borg, and in the end, they defeated them. We have an enemy who we are told not once but twice to resist and defeat. In James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he, uh, whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. Now, James and Peter say we ought to resist in two different contexts, and this is important. James is talking about resisting the devil when he is using our flesh and the world to tempt us to sin. We'll see that in just a moment. Peter is talking about resisting the devil when we are experiencing the pressure of persecution. And so let's start with James and be encouraged we can resist the devil when he is tempting us in a way that causes him to flee. I'm going to read James 4, 1 through 4, just to set the context. Uh, James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive uh, because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, now, there's obviously a lot going on in these verses. The first three verses are a commentary on our flesh, called by James here, your desires for pleasure that war in your members. And that's a good description, really, of, of the uh, a good vivid description of the flesh, that principle, that propensity we find left over in our physical bodies after we become born again, that uh, drive to sin. They are our desire for pleasures that war in our members. When yielded to, our flesh manifests itself as wars and fights and murders, coveting the kinds of things that James mentioned. Now, the next verse, verse 4, presents the world as a spiritual harlot and Christians who are enjoying friendship with the world as spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. And so, uh, he doesn't tell us where the line is, but obviously Christians can cross a line, become worldly, have friends, you know, uh, enjoy the world too much, uh, the world being that um, evil philosophy that is contrary to the things of Christ. Uh, and when we get into that, uh, we are committing spiritual adultery with the world. Uh, then in verse 5, he says, do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Difficult verse unless you see it in context and think of the Spirit not as the Holy Spirit, but as a reference to your human spirit that can yearn jealously for the things of the world. So, so uh, James is saying uh, you're fighting the flesh, the world is there. Uh, and, and there's a, a jealous yearning towards sin. How can we ever hope to resist such formidable opposition? Well, verse 6, he says, but he gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That God gives more grace shows that His grace is greater than the power of the flesh, the world, and Satan. That's the point of that verse. He says, hey, you're struggling with the flesh, the world, uh, you've got the, the yearnings of your spirit in this direction, but God gives more grace. There's, it, it's way more than you need in order to deal with this. The Old Testament quote from Proverbs 3.34 reveals who obtains God's grace. He says it's the humble. Now, the word humble does not define a special class of Christians here. It encompasses all believers. A little later in this chapter, we're told to humble ourselves. That's in verse 10. But here in verse 6, we are called the humble. Being the humble is our position as saved individuals, not necessarily our practice. And so when James says God gives grace to the humble, he might as well have said he gives more grace to the Christian because you as a Christian have humbled yourself to receive the Lord, uh, uh, you've repented of your sin, it refers to your position. And so the whole idea of this is that you're facing formidable enemies, overwhelming odds, but God gives more grace because you are the humble. You're no longer the proud, you're the humble. Uh, therefore, verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Therefore, that is because God gives more grace, submit. Submit could be translated obey. Either way, it, it gets to the same purpose. And here's the thing. I can obey God. I can submit to Him because I am a recipient of His grace, and His grace is more than enough to overcome my flesh and the world. I think our problem is that we read these commands as if they are something we must do in order to earn God's grace. We think the more we obey and submit, the more grace He will release and, and keep us on the narrow road. But that puts all the emphasis on my effort, and I always fail. When I trust in my own effort to defeat the devil, to overcome the world, to put down my flesh, I will always fail. I need God's abundant grace. The grace for me to obey and submit is already there. If and when I disobey and rebel, it's because I consciously choose to yield to the devil's temptations. If I realize God has given me the grace to say no to sin, I resist the devil and he must flee. Now, it's interesting, he only flees for a time. Even Jesus had to do battle over and over again with him. When Jesus defeated his temptations in the wilderness, when he was driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit, and the devil came to him and tempted him after 40 days, uh, we are told Satan fled, and I quote, until a more opportune time. And so the Lord resisted the devil using the Word of God, and the devil fled from him but he came back at a more opportune time, and, and he kept coming back to resist uh, or to try and trip up the Lord. But the Lord always resisted him, and the devil had to flee. You've played rock, scissors, paper. It's an elegant game. Rock breaks or dull scissors. Scissors cut paper. Paper covers rock. It's it's really it's just a it's a masterful game. When he was very young, just a child, one of the brothers in our fellowship added an element to rock, scissors, paper. 
It was a gesture using your hand to look like a rising cloud. And so you'd go one, two, like that. He called it atomic fire. And as you can imagine, it obliterated rock, scissors, or paper. It was a true doomsday weapon that could not be overcome. I, I dare you to use it the next time somebody, you just, you know, next time you have to decide, says, hey, let's do rock, scissors, paper, right? And just go, and they say, what was that? You say, that's atomic fire. It was so funny. I, I, I almost fell over laughing. It was a doomsday weapon that could not be overcome. I think we sometimes approach the devil's temptations as if we're playing rock, scissors, paper with him, and we need to outsmart him and outstrategize him. Is he going to choose scissors this time? How do I know? I don't want to choose paper. Ah, I chose paper, and there I've, I'm fallen again. When in fact, if I'm reading James correctly, grace is atomic fire. It obliterates his temptations if we will choose it over our own strategies. And so the devil is out to get you, and you, and he has to flee. All right, so that's that. And I sometimes think when we put the cart before the horse, we're always looking for what must I do, and the better, the better solution is what has God done? God has given us more grace, and we must believe that we can avail ourselves of that grace and actually resist the devil, and when we do at least for a time, he will flee from us. Now, let's take a look at Peter's idea of resistance. Peter's command that we resist the devil is in a totally different context. Here it is again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, the context here is not temptation to sin. It is the sufferings of Christians in the world or what we would commonly call persecution. I hate to be the one to point it out, but there's something you don't see here. There's something Peter does not say. He does not say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In fact, he says, you may continue to suffer. Look at verse 10. But may the God of all grace, remember there's that same grace, James talked about it too, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Peter's talking about a very different kind of resistance. He's talking about a resistance that we would call an endurance. James said, if you're tempted to sin... If the devil comes and he's trying to get your flesh or involved with the world and sin, you can resist him, and at some point in that battle, he has to flee from you. He'll come back, but he has to flee from you. Peter says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, and it might get worse, and you are to resist it and endure it uh, no matter how bad it gets. Often when talking about this verse in Peter, Bible teachers say things like, Satan is a lion with a roar but no teeth. The worst he could do is gum you to death. One commentator I read compared Satan to a small yipping dog that belonged to a neighbor. He probably, you might own a dog like that. You know those dogs that just are always nipping at you and stuff. And uh, he's a, this commentator, he's a, he's a big, burly, strong kind of a guy. 
And uh, he said one day he walked by that dog and he barked back at it. <laughs> and that dog turned tail and ran. And so his suggestion is when the devil is roaring at you, you bark back at the devil. Well, that's not at all the picture that Peter is painting here. That's the problem with that kind of teaching. He portrays the devil as a terrorist who can indeed inflict devastating suffering, and it's a suffering you might have to, he says, endure for a while. According to Peter, you resist the devil. He doesn't flee, but gets all the more violent and vicious. The temptation here is to give up, to throw in the towel, to quit living for Jesus, maybe even to forsake the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, the writer there, probably the Apostle Paul, was saying, hey, you guys, I know it's tough. They're, they're persecuting you. They're taking your goods. You're le- you can't get work because the Jews won't gild you and, and the Gentiles hate you. But you cannot leave Christ and go back into Judaism. You cannot apostatize. You, you just can't if you're a true Christian. He's telling them to resist persecution by enduring it and to resist the idea of throwing in the towel. That's what Peter's saying. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit resisting. Remain steadfast in the faith, realizing it is part of your warfare to suffer persecution. That's what it means to be sober and vigilant. I should expect the devil's attacks. My threat level is always at red. I think, have they done away with the, I think they've done away with the colors. I, I thought I read that the other day that they've, people made so much fun of the, the terrorist threat level that now they do it differently. I kind of liked it. Uh, But our threat level as Christians when it comes to the devil is always red. And this answers a lot of questions for me. I mean, on, on on the surface of it, I'm kind of immediately discouraged thinking, you mean I have to endure more suffering? But uh, it answers the question for me, namely, if I'm in a trial, why doesn't the devil flee when I resist him? And see, when I hear all this teaching about barking back at the devil and how he's a lion with no teeth and all of this, and then I still suffer and and I continue to suffer, uh, I I don't understand what's going on. But Peter tells me what's going on. He says, yeah, you're going to suffer persecution like your brothers are all over the world and have for centuries. And, And your job is to continue to resist enduring it because in the end the grace that you stand in will, be perf- will cause you to be perfected and established and strengthened and settled. In movies, the hero is always a guy or gal who can't be broken. You know, there's always a character who, you know, the first time they even look at taking off his fingernail, he gives up all the information. You know, he just, that guy always dies anyway. So, you ever watch TV? I mean, I don't, I'm not encouraging you to do this, but I, I would look at stuff and i say, hey, they're going to kill you anyway. They're, they're, you know they're going to kill you, so just, you know, do it with some honor. Just keep your mouth shut and let them kill you. Uh, but the hero is always the guy or gal who cannot be broken. No matter how viciously they are tortured, they won't give up the information. They won't renounce their position. We are that spiritual hero when we trust the grace of God and endure our hardships as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter is talking about. With regards to tempting you to sin, you have grace to resist the devil, and he must flee from you. I don't know if it's going to take 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days. I don't know how long. Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness. 
Uh, and there's some indication in the Gospels that he was tempted during that 40 days, not just at the end, obviously really hard at the end. Uh, so I don't know, but you can be assured that if it's a temptation to personal sin, that you can resist the devil and he must at some point flee from you because God has given you more grace than uh, the power of the world or the flesh or the devil. But with regards to your trials, you have grace to go on resisting the devil though he may continue his onslaught throughout your entire life. The Apostle John, we're going to look at him a little bit on Sunday morning, James and John, because they come to Jesus and through their mother, and they want to have the positions of honor at his right hand and his left hand. And Jesus said, well, can you be baptized with the uh, baptism of suffering, basically, he says? Can you drink of the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And James did. Ten years into the church, he was uh, beheaded by Herod. He uh, died a martyr's death. John lived a martyr's life. Uh, was, they tried to boil him in oil. He was eventually exiled to the island of Patmos uh, where he suffered having to, they believe, mine salt all day and uh, heavy labor, those kinds of things. And so um, you may have to resist the devil your entire life when it comes to suffering and affliction and persecution. Uh, but in a, in a strange way, that encourages me because, as I said, it answers the question, why doesn't the devil flee from me if I'm praying and seeking the Lord and all of that? It's because it's a very different kind of situation. Either way, resistance is not futile. Amen?